Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's Director of Opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, welcome to From the Producer's Office. I'm James Clutton, Director of Opera, Opera Holland Park. Uh, it's from the, from the producer's home office today because we're in April 2020 and everyone's at home, so it's slightly different. And in fact, um, we're doing this on Zoom, uh, although we're not going to share that with everyone because you really don't want to see that at the moment. <laughs> although we might try and do a, uh, I'm talking about myself there, we might try yeah. and do a, a, a screenshot in a while. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which was the first and so far only commission that Opal and Park has done um, back in 2013. Uh, in a bit of a tribute to the BBC Radio 4 show, The Reunion, uh, I've got a few guests here that were all instrumental in that, and uh, I'm going to talk about how we got it to the stage in the first time. So I've got uh, with me, uh, well, not actually with me, but I can see them. Composer Will Todd. Hello. Hi, Will. Nice uh, to be here. The original Alice Fleerwin. Hi there. Director Martin Duncan. Hello. And associate producer of my old partner in crime, Sarah Crabtree. Hello. Nice to see you all and hear you all and everything. Um, so let, let's take it back, uh, glo big global pictures, first of all. Um, uh, Sarah, first of all, what's your sort of overriding memory of that time? Uh, I mean, magic, really. Uh, to be able to take the inspiration from, from Holland Park itself and then, uh, then be able to, to create something completely new that worked so brilliantly within the park and uh, it was just it was just magical i have so many fond memories um of, of that time it, it feels like yesterday in lots of ways actually yeah yeah it's a lot it's a lot of memories and will your overriding memory of that era yeah again very special um and i think we we achieved a great deal in a very short space of time and i was really pleased about that i mean obviously we had a great team of you starting with yourself and sarah and then uh, bringing on board Martin to direct, and then the cast with Fleer. Um, you know, those are, those are parts of the process that any new piece has to go through, the writing, uh, and then the tryout. We did a bit of a workshop, didn't we? And uh, all those elements have to come together. And, and it, the feeling I remember is just feeling that everybody was incredibly supportive, very passionate yeah. about the piece and you know we, we kept on making improvements which was fantastic yeah yeah it was a great time Fleer? um again like sarah said just a time of pure magic really i think um every singer has a dream role they have in mind when they start out as a singer and i have to say that alice wasn't one of mine because you know it was never written as an opera to begin <laughs> And then, you know, we all assume that it's going to be Mimi or Violetta or anything. But actually, having done the role now, I'd say it was probably my favourite role, the, the favourite role I've ever sang. And had you, you know, told me 10 years ago I was going to say that, I wouldn't have believed you. But it's just been such a joy um, from the first workshop to... Yeah the last show it's just been we i just keep wanting to do it all the time i know, I know don't we all don't we all we're, we're going to come back onto that and martin same thing override your memory well no i just remember from the very first meeting we had in the crypt of we're going to go to we're going to come to that one yeah, okay. <laughs> but that was like a little moment that then just went bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and sort of grew and grew like um yeah. 
Alice does in the show. But, uh, <laughs> and while she's on lockdown as well, I can tell you. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, just a pleasurable uh, little roller coaster, mini roller coaster, you know, ups and downs, but, yeah. but uh, fantastic. It was a fantastic journey. No, it was really one of those times that is, it doesn't come along too often in, in, in one's career. But in the sillier sort of things I remember, I remember particularly me and Sarah and Martin standing out on the Yucca Lawn looking at the sky every day <laughs> to see whether it was going to rain. We had the Met Office app and we were watching the cloud cover and so, you know, trying to work out how close it was going to get. I mean, it I was know. just insane. Actually, anyway, I mean, that's later on, but performance days were heart-stopping when you woke up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> They really were. They really were. Okay, so let's take the story back. Um, Sarah and I were obviously working together at Opera Holland Park. Uh, we'd had three years, I think, of a children's op family opera out in the park itself. Tobias Picker's Fantastic Mr. Fox, which we'd had great success with. And after that, the two of us were casting ideas about what to follow it with, which um, what piece we should do. At that point, I don't think we talked about a commission. It was just what piece we should do. Mm. And I always remember this. I almost remember the day you were the one who said initially, what, what, it admits a load of other ideas, but then one day just, in my memory anyway, uh, what about Alice? And me just saying, yeah, that's, that's the one. <laughs> is that how you remember it? I mean, it, it, yeah, it is. I, it's it's a, a book that I love. I love the film as when I was growing up. It's a story that I've loved. And it's also walking through Holland Park, you know, various hours of day and night, um, past the giant chessboard, um, uh, part of the, the, just the scale of it apart from anything else. Um, I'd always thought how much, how hey, Alice would, would be at home there. And I, I don't know, it's just one of those, I guess, when you're throwing around ideas, we it just sort of struck one of those light bulb moments, I guess. And and yeah, you, yeah we both knew immediately, didn't we, when we started talking about yeah, it, that, I think that, that it was, was the, the right thing. Because the thing that is difficult to remember those days, well, we were talking about a lot of ideas as you do when you're just free associating what shows could work. And there was dozens of them. And we'd go, yeah, oh, no, not really, or whatever. <laughs> but on that one, I, I remember it being, you saying Alice, we said, yes, that's the one. Like an mm. immediate, that, that's the thing mm. we should do. And we started looking for versions and there's no real versions that we really liked, was there? No, I mean, anyone else has written it. There's not, nothing really. You have to be a bit really... careful, don't you? But I mean, it's, it's, we wanted something for families and we wanted something yeah. that, uh, well, it's your line, you wanted The Simpsons. I think I remember you telling, asking, Will that yeah. right at the very beginning? I remember that, and, and Maggie would talk about it in a bit. But I do remember when I, for those listening, is that thing of I wanted the Simpsons song because family, um, children and adults could watch it at the same time, watching the same thing and get different things out of it. And I think that we achieved that. We absolutely mm. achieved that. Mm. Um, and I don't think any of the other versions that existed um, were for that audience. In fact, there's so little, even now, really. That yeah. really, that really, it, it's for that audience, and I think um, yeah. that's what's so special about it, actually. No, no, I agree. And we were talking about, uh, but then after that, we said, okay, let's let's maybe commission one, which was a big step for us because we've never done it. And you and Will had worked together before, and you knew Will. And Will, what's your first memory of Sarah and I talking to you about this? First memory is very clear. It's in St. Martin in the Fields, and Sarah comes up to me because she's singing in the choir. Oh, Will, and why we're... do you have to tell everybody that? <laughs> sorry, you, sorry, you, you sing wonderfully, Sarah. Um, and she came up and said, I, I work for, you know, it, I work for Upper Holland Park in my main work, and um, we're thinking of uh, commissioning an opera about Alice. And I remember saying, oh, that, that sounds really interesting. And <laughs> to be honest, you know, you just never know when people you 
haven't worked with before say <laughs> we're going to do something you just have no idea so i, I would you like to buy a ticket <laughs> yeah i kind of parked it in my mind as an interesting thing someone had said um, to me um but you you all know this because you worked in theater for a long time you, you never assume off a first conversation that anything will necessarily come uh. so um how incredible then a, a little bit later to be to meet you both um, I remember having a meeting with James and Sarah to, you know, flesh out the idea and, and clearly it was becoming a real thing. Uh, and of course I was mega excited. I remember the, the other thing about that first meeting with the two of you was us all agreeing that really you need to impose some kind of structure on a story like Alice. I remember yeah. saying, we've got to make it, is it a lost and found or a quest? or something yeah. because as we know the, the episodic nature of the original stories is mm. um can be dramatically frustrating and actually a lot of films and versions of alice i think mm. to some extent fail because they don't really grip it and say we're going to tell the story in this way and this is what's going to happen yeah. but we all agree didn't we particularly for a young audience you need to be very clear where's alice going um how does she get to the end of the, the quest? Yeah. yeah, I think as I remember as well, when Sarah and I were talking to a lot of people at that time, we were saying to them, do you know Alice? And everyone knows Alice, so tell, tell us the story. And everyone knew the various things and no one, no one knew the story in order. Right, mm. of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just one of those things. It was just, it was, it was just like that. So yeah, so I mean, I think that meeting was in Soho House, actually, as I remember it. This is like, it oh yes, nice I remember coffees. it well. That was a nice coffee. Yes, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> um, but then um, after that, then we approached um, our, our fabulous librettist Maggie, who, who can't be here today. She's uh, she's away. She's on lockdown somewhere. Um, but she, um, you and I, you and uh, uh, Mags had worked together a little bit. No, hadn't worked together. Just knew each other socially. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Uh, we talked a lot about sort of uh, the idea of collaborating or the idea of writing an opera or a musical yeah. theatre piece. And so we put you together and. Um, and, well, that sort of worked, didn't it? So. It was great. It was great because Maggie was is great at getting the story to yeah. work as a set of scenes. And again, you know, opera really needs the the right scenes to happen in the right order and the right characters to say the right things. You know, for it all to function, particularly in a small um, time span. We were aiming for an hour, weren't we? Um, yeah. Which is approximately maybe 70 minutes ended up the, the, the end of the show um, but trying to make sure enough could happen but not too much happens within the show that um, it's coherent yeah. um, and actually I remember in, in that regard e e even quite close to the production when we were in rehearsal with with Martin we were still fiddling with aspects of the story weren't we Martin in a very positive way you know trying to say well this bit still doesn't it still doesn't quite you know work and Mags again uh, like myself I hope always very open to great how do we solve that definitely definitely but I think that's one of the mo the reasons why the piece is so successful um I mean it sort of changed my career because it made me realize I wanted to work with people that were living and, and make and make new work um mm. and so few people in the how many years how many years is it James I should know that um since 13 we premiered so the workshop oh. and everything was at the end of 2012 wow that's crazy isn't it um have the flexibility and the openness and the, just as though that you were 
you knew what you wanted, but there was you, neither of you were in any way precious about anything, and it was it was incre- incredible, really, to to be a part of it. That's that process. Yeah. And I remember as well from a performer's um, point of view, the, the flexibility, but also the respect you had for us as performers, what worked for us and what didn't work for us. And that doesn't, having done other um, contemporary operas, that doesn't always happen. Um, so I know that we all felt very grateful uh, to the two of you for, for being so, so understanding. Yeah. yeah, they were definitely open, very open. Um, so Martin, as you mentioned earlier, Sarah and I arranged to meet you. This is a oh yes, I remember it well moment because in my mind that meeting is in the um, the lovely uh, restaurant along um, the Connell, uh, the Connell, uh, no, the Delaunay um, on the on the Strand. Oh yes, oh yes, okay, yes, yes, you're the right. Delaunay counter is one. I've got that first right. one. Yes, the Delaunay yeah. counter. Uh, yes, yeah, first one was. I was okay. summoned, so I thought, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> there, there may be an offer in this. That's exciting. <laughs> and you always slight, you know, as a director, you always go with a slight dread, going, "Oh, I hope it's something I really, really like to do," rather than going, "Ah, oh, I've done it before, I don't like it, or whatever." And, and dear listeners, said, dear listeners, I've been in that position because Martin said no to me about twice or three times, and every single four, time he was four. he was bang on the money. He was right to turn those shows down. <laughs> <laughs> so we sat we sat there and eventually you got round to it and you said you said we're thinking of doing a children family opera based on in take a breath uh, alice in wonderland i went oh yes fantastic yes i'm in whatever yeah that was it you know mm. it's one of those titles isn't it i think we all yeah. have you know in our bodies somewhere yeah. um so that's how it started at the Delaunay. And the crypt was something else. The crypt was when I met Will, wasn't it? That's, that's right. right. Yes, that's the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. And that was the next meeting, presumably. Yeah, me. I think that's right. I like the idea of meeting in crypts. But Martin, also, I, um, I remember you saying to Sarah and I on that day, um, something that we, would, we were going to insist on with the designer whenever we got the designer or whatever. But, and you said it straight away that there are certain aspects that have to look like Alice. <laughs> If I do it, and, and the story obviously is going to be slightly subverted from the original text, the original um, Lewis Carroll, mm. um, I said, but for me, we have to make Alice look like Alice, that mm. everyone knows as Alice. And then you can start subverting. We have to do the, the key characters as mm. people know them. Yeah. I don't want to do a sort of, you know, everyone's a punk or everyone's a whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you can start to subvert once you've got some sort of normal, you know, characteristics. Yeah, it was great to hear that because, you know, so do you remember we talked about that a lot in the office, haven't we? Mm. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's so iconic. And actually, within, before we'd even opened, um, when we were, when, uh, Flair was walking between the backstage and, oh, yeah. and the Akalon, and we were doing the technical rehearsals. It was like a pop star. It was like Alice was a pop star. People, I mean, the kids, it's like, Alice, mum, it's Alice. And, <laughs> and I think, you know, we, we all, we knew that that was the right way to go as soon, as soon as we started talking about it. But it's amazing how iconic and how, how many children can identify, which is part of everyone's childhood still, how many yeah, yeah. years on. I think that really also, helps. Can I, can I just say too, also my decision to do that was, um, because of another really sanitary experience I had when I was running another building and we did a version of 
Alice, I have to be careful here, this may be edited out. Uh, we did a version of Alice and when it came to it, um, it, it was a disaster. It wasn't my production, someone else directed it, someone else designed it. I hadn't quite managed it properly along the way as a producer and um, it ended up as an Alice video game. Um, she fell into a computer and it was disaster all around. No one was happy, the children weren't happy, the parents, I've got loads of letters of complaint. And that taught me a lesson, actually. Yeah. But yeah. if you're dealing with something as iconic as this, you've got to gently lead people through it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, so moving on a bit, then we decided, um, uh, there was, well, there was no decision. We were definitely always going to do this, to hold a workshop a week working on the on the piece. I would never commission a show without doing that. And uh, and I think that we, we, we benefited from it. Um, but then we started putting the cast together and we asked Fleer. Um, do you remember us talking to you about that, Fleer, or is it straight into the workshop that you remember? I think uh, it was straight into the workshop, I remember, actually, because um, I, I am used to playing or being... I was used to playing um, roles that are maybe slightly younger than I am. Um, and I remember, I do remember you asking if I would do the workshop and I thought, oh gosh, it's another child. And actually, <laughs> I didn't mind at all because it was Alice. Um, yeah. and, and I remember turning up to the workshop and I was very lucky. I'd worked with Martin before um, on Pinocchio, I think a few years previously, um, which is another iconic story. And yeah. so I knew that you know, if anyone was going to direct this successfully, it would be um, Martin. Um, and I just remember that week, it was just like being a grown-up child again. And it was one of the most fantastic weeks ever because although we got to create and um, improvise to a certain extent, the structure was there for us. And that, as I said earlier, is actually again quite rare um, you know I've done contemporary pieces before now where I've not received the score until a couple of weeks before we start rehearsing I won't go that anymore let's take that to you because when we suggested the workshop were you surprised pleased worried or how does that go to a composer's mind oh well and for me for this composer it's a real you really need that because what it allows you to do is to work towards a deadline that is quite a long way before the production deadline yeah but it also allows you to think right we're going to write a full version of this and and hopefully everything will be great but it doesn't matter if bits of this aren't great yet yeah. because what we're going to get from this is a sense of the whole through line of the show because um, you know that a show is all about its pacing yeah. and the musical pacing of an opera is is one of the things that contributes to its power or not mm. um, and that being in a workshop where you've just got piano um, and singers who uh, was wonderful of course having Fleer all the members of the cast that you picked for that workshop were fantastic because they were quite happy if you said okay well let's do this song a bit different this time we'll miss out those measures or yeah. um, here's a new little bit that I've added um, and you you make the thing so much better yeah. um, and so for me having a workshop is just crucial to uh, a, th a theatre piece. 
it is amazing how much um, it changed from the workshop to the performances. Because in, 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 when you think about it, it doesn't feel like an awful lot. But I have the score um, from the workshop on my desk at work and um, flip through it every now and again. And in fact, I think I got it out at one point to Flair to sing some Alice for an audition and realised that it was an old version. Do you remember that, Flair? I anyway, do, I do. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's not until you look back through it and you think, oh, oh, and I forgot about that. And what about that? And actually, um, it's amazing how agile the piece is and how, uh, and how, how much it did change. Yeah. Um, and there were some lovely bits that you can't put in because they're for, for, you know, for various reasons, they don't work. The needle, it's one of the bits I always, will never forget is the needle. In fact, it's, it's often the bit that I remember. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Which kind of was hilarious, but could, we couldn't make any sense of it which in, was in, in the shape of the piece. But it was a bit where... where with the pricking of the finger. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes and yes. remembering it after it had happened or yeah. something. Yeah. 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 Trying was, to be it was disastrous. It was so great. <laughs> and um, we tried hard. And then we discovered it was never, ever going to work in a million years. And that's great. And you, you've saved, you've saved yourself then, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Just, I think discovering that just in the production. Put that into context of the, of the time. We were doing that in November 2012. And we opened the show in, uh, in, in July 2013. Wow. So we had a good way before that um, to do those things. But it was really, you know, we had a lot of it all in the bag. I saw a bit earlier on, just ahead of this, and uh, just on my phone, there's a short video. There was like a, like a humming um, overture at the beginning. Yeah, there was. Wasn't oh there? yes! Mm. Oh my God! Oh it was, yes! It was well. It was like the dreamy sort of the the wonder theme. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So it came in at the start. With the, with the backing chorus. Yes, with the backing chorus. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yeah. it's a sort of Disney chorus thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And also that week. Um, uh, we had our, our great old mate no longer with us, Doug, who had been a company manager for 20 years probably, went back to the DSM's chair for the first time and was yeah. just fantastic. He just loved it, didn't he, Sarah? He just yeah. loved it. He's, he, he is, uh, you know, in terms of the creation of Alice, he's right there at the heart of this for me. Yeah. Um, every time, whenever I think of Alice, I think of Doug. Um, yeah. Even yeah, even though he, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't there when we wasn't he wasn't working on the actual show. But yeah, it, it was he loved it though. He got to be he, he got to be boss again. He and made it the opening performance. He did. He did. But I yeah. remember Martin saying to me, "Can I have him as my usual DSM for you?" And oh, normally our company manager. <laughs> <laughs> but he loved it, didn't he? He just was in yeah, his absolute really. element. Absolutely. But also going back on my notes here, because you know things change, and we did bring other people in. But on from the workshop cast to people that went the whole way, we had more in the show for lengths of time, but went to the last performance as well. We had Fleer, Keel, Lofty, Jim, Clev, and Rob all in the workshop and did it. Yeah. And did shows at the very end of the run. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a testimony to the piece, isn't it? And to you, Martin, and to Fleer as a colleague, and yeah, all of you. But also yeah, exactly. Like you say, it's a testament to the piece because very often you do a production, uh, a new production of any opera, whether it's new or not, to the piece being new or not. And then if there's a revival, you're asked if you'd like to do it for various reasons. Sometimes you feel, no, I don't really want to go back to do that again. I want to move on for whatever reason. And I think for all of us, all five of us, definitely, we just kept wanting to come back for more. Every year. It was one of those things that, yeah, please just assume, take for granted if Alice is on, I'll yeah. be there. You know, it's just so much joy. But after all those performances, we ended up being, including everything about in the high 80s, I think. I'm still not sure the Lofty oh. got that song completely right in every year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I quite like that. 
I quite like that because, you know, at heart, I'm this sort of jazz musician. And, and he did introduce well, his own character as well with yeah. Leslie the Horse. Leslie the Horse. Oh my God. My lasting memory of Alice, other than getting the first line of the most famous song in the entire piece wrong, um, having sung it about 40 times. Um, <laughs> I think I sang something like, in my fly, I flew high. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> um, my lasting memory will always be Lofty making his way through the field with Leslie the horse. Yeah, chatting to him, <laughs> talking, having a conversation. <laughs> Staging everybody. It I miss that so much. Brilliant. I miss that so much. Because John, John, I think, did the most performances of anyone. I think he I did. I think he's the only one um, the not to have been doubled. Oh, yes, of course. You're right. Yeah. But he, he brought right. that horse from home. Oh, yeah, you're right. He, he added, he added his, he not only did he add the character, he bought, he bought the horse from home. I think Leslie the horse still lives in John Loft's house. Obviously, people can't see it. Leslie the horse is what, I don't know, a foot a foot long and less than a foot high and he dragged this horse all the way across yes. from the theatre into the Yucca Lawn. Oh. Just, just finishing on the workshop a little bit, just saying uh, once again to show how seriously the company, me and Sarah took this at the beginning. The rest of our team at that beginning included Stuart Stratford, now music director at Scottish Opera as the original conductor and, and for the first year. Um, Leslie Travers, our wonderful designer who ended up uh, doing the show was at that workshop as well and we'd already, we'd already done that. So we really threw everything at that for a new, for a new piece. And um, at the end of that week, uh, we did a little performance of it to a very small invited audience. Do you remember how you felt at the end of that, Will, when we actually did the performance? I do, I remember it really, really well. Um, there were about, I don't know, sort of 15 of us watching it maybe, members of the company, my family were there, including mm. my then quite small little girls. So Rowan was about, <laughs> Seven and Petra oh my was five. She was five and Petra was seven. Oh. And I remember they were, you know, they were sitting on adult chairs and so the legs didn't touch the, the floor. And <laughs> I remember were, that. <laughs> they were kicking their legs back and forth the way kids do, uh, really annoyingly. And I thought, <laughs> oh God, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, I shouldn't have asked them to come. And then about 10 minutes into the show, their legs stopped moving and they stayed completely riveted to the show and I, I, I always remember that because that's one of the things that we've somehow managed to get with this show is that it goes at the right pace doesn't it that, that a very young audience very young audience they can follow it and stay with it and not not get bored and that was one of our big uh, kind of aims wasn't yeah. it with the piece um the cast were fantastic in that workshop of yeah. course but just the fact that we kind of road tested it on some little ones as well mm -hmm. was really mm -hmm. powerful for me yeah yeah great so for those people that are listening that don't uh, didn't see the show or didn't know about our family work there can you just explain a little bit about how we ran the family shows fantastic mr fox and this how that physically took place uh, so I think most importantly, we sort of deconstructed or, or demolished all the all the sort of trappings of the theatre, um, and uh, and so it took place outside. Um, anything it, it was promenade within a, within a confined space, which meant that um, children perhaps sit still for longer than. Um, well I don't know 10 maybe 15 minutes per scene um and there was a freedom to sort of run around and explore um 
and it meant that also that children could get so close and that's an amazingly powerful thing when you see a child next to an opera singer um, but also next to the musicians as well because not only did we have the cast of singers um, the band moved as well and my god I think uh, I think well Will I don't know whether you remember this but I'm pretty sure you thought we were totally mad that we were going to get the musicians to move around with the uh, with the singers as well um, and my god they did they were a brilliant band absolutely brilliant band um, so yeah, yeah you sort of we kind of the Alice band um, we sort of broke down all those um, barriers I guess um, that enable children to come and, and see and feel and, and witness and you know all that when we when we sort of Sarah's mentioned the band there which we did christen the Alice band and it was a fabulous band of people that you, you knew most of them well I think if not indeed all. yeah um, and I remember it's one of those few times you either played me brilliantly or or it was just the right thing because we'd ask you to keep to I think it was seven <laughs> <laughs> and, really hard. and said uh, do you know that can really do with the string quartet well, do you yeah. know that's not my what memory of that that's not my memory of that Jen. <laughs> this is my memory of it I was I was ruthlessly keeping to the seven player thing but we had a double bass already for, as, as a bass instrument and you called me when when you heard the uh, no, the, no, oh, no that is true that is true oh, that when you heard the I flew high in my dreams, Ari, you said, That's you know, true. I'm really hearing strings on this. And <laughs> I, I leapt on you at that point. The moment you said that, you, you gave a chink of light and I was straight through it because, of course, you were spot on. It did definitely need that sort of lyrical, uh, I mean, warmer There's a lot thing. of bonkersness to this piece because we had a, what did we have now? I'm struggling to remember. Maybe a cast of um, 15. 15. Okay. Orchestra of eleven or something. So I think that um, it's a lot of numbers on that. But everyone said it's you know it's a loss making thing. But the, the the thing is that it was really exciting because you looked at it as an investment in audience and investment in the future of the company of people coming in and seeing things like that. Um, but you you certainly did keep to the. I didn't mean that. You certainly did keep to the number. And it was me who said, "We do some strings next day on my desk. String arrangement." <laughs> <laughs> that that moment though when we received that file which was just a um a synthesized version of the of i flew high it gives me goosebumps thinking about that and actually that's probably one of my most vivid memories of the whole process is that afternoon when we received it um and we just got a, a tiny taste of what the, of what it might be and it was yeah it's, i mean it's it's so uh, it's it's iconic within the piece now isn't it that, that yeah, um, aria but absolutely well, a pure a pure thing like um the composing world just a, a very specific one something like i flew high or wonderland blues or whatever wonderland blues maybe even more was that a very that was a that was a style thing before you'd got the melody or was that you, you do the caterpillar needed that sort of thing yeah i mean mags and i had made some sort of uh, choices about the feel that different characters would have musically they, they weren't set in stone but it was sort of our starting point if you like and the idea of the of the the deep bass singing at some kind of a blues um song felt right for the caterpillar so we were the words were prepared with that in mind mm. and then i kind of responded uh, with with a blues style um piece same with the alice song where it was very much we want this to be a lyrical short but lyrical aria where we can really be drawn into alice and really love her and um you know want her to succeed and and the singer to be able to delight us with with the singing which is what yeah. we want an opera aria to do 
But it's a real torch song, that, isn't it? I yeah, I mean, I was thrilled. Obviously, the first time I heard it properly was when Fleer sang it. And, uh, you know, there's that gulf for a composer between what you think something's going to be like sat at your piano uh, and then someone sings it. And I, I remember Fleer singing it the first time in that workshop and just being just overjoyed because it instantly became much, much better <laughs> than... <laughs> Than, than anything I, I could have imagined and it, and it was, um, this is something I was thinking as we were talking, I've got very used to how Flea and Jim and John and all those people play those characters but of course when we started the workshop we were sort of guessing at what's, what's the style exactly for Alice, what, what is, who is operatic Alice, you know, we didn't know that yet and the character that Fleer produced uh, was just spot on and of course everyone other people that I've heard do it um, you know do a version of the the, the thing that Fleer created yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah th that moment when you collaborate with the singers for the first time is a very exciting but also a, quite a nerve-wracking moment and uh, yeah again the workshop really helped us make the most of that yeah, no, it was great. Um, also on, on that, uh, you all mentioned it earlier on about the workshop week, but Martin, uh, well, I have to say this, you and Max, uh, Ma Martin, Sarah and I, uh, in the nicest way, because we wanted the best things. I mean, we were brutal that week in many ways, in, in positive ways, I hope. But, it, but you both took it well, because we were one of the most creative weeks of my life, actually. I remember we were working at the Gerwood studio. We were lunching together in the cafe we were going and, work, and we were working constantly and but we would the three of us as in martin sarah and i would be saying that doesn't work for me that does and and you were adapting to it so quickly uh, and martin you're having to think on your feet all the time as well because you're seeing the stuff for the first time and you wasn't you did direct it that week and for, for that thing but you're trying to direct it and get ideas about what people are doing as well who they are yeah absolutely and how how it might eventually be in a production it's fine in a workshop in a room everyone's doubling everyone's there but actually when we go on set on field how, how do we do this? how do we do this how do we do the doubling uh, are we going to talk at some point about the victorian yeah we'll talk about them now because you know we're going to we're going to wrap up quite soon but just so that I, my intention is to do a couple of these but also about the run of alice and how it changed over and where yeah, we were yeah, in the yeah. house and everything but this was more about the creation. Well, I just want to ask you all, because my memory of w when we invented the Victorians, I have a memory. We were sitting at Holland Park in the colonnades by the cafe talking about the Victorians. But why would it be then? Why would it be that late? Was it? It was quite late. It was late, wasn't it? <laughs> well, because it, it grew out of how, how do we... Um, we were thinking Go from... Yes, we were thinking about how to move from space to space. And we were also thinking about how to uh, have choral voices. Uh, because do you remember, there were sort of choral sections that I'd written in. And, and then, of course, we didn't have a chorus as such. We got rid of them, yes. Um, and I think it, it came about through that, because I, re I remember that music not being in the original production score. It was like an add-on. Yeah, it was an add-on. It was, yeah. But at what point was it? Why were we in the You were in rehearsals. I think you were already in rehearsals. I really do. Am I wrong, James? No, I think that's right. I think it was very, very late. 
Well, I know that um, also we talked about with when you did Fantastic Mr. Fox, you had some characters, didn't you? Some nymphs or something. Well, they kind of leading people. Um, sprites, aren't they? The sprites. And, um, yeah, we talked about what do we do? How do we lead people from one place to the other so it doesn't yeah. die? And then I remember you coming in with it and go, and go this fabulous round, this fabulous circular piece of music that was so great. Yeah. It was so was. jolly. <laughs> And people always loved the Victorians. For those of you who didn't see it, um, the Victorians were like the sort of Greek chorus um, explaining what was happening next and leading the characters through to the next scene. But yeah, I, I, I do think they, I, sorry, I think they provided some of the most incredible dramatic moments in every performance as well, let's be honest. Well, they had to improvise, they had to improvise while, you know, 150 people moved from place to place. Yeah. And they just kept going and seating them properly and waving yeah. children and screaming children. Yeah. And You were very good at that, Martin, as well, though. You were very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I but know. I do remember when, when we were playing, we'll talk about this in another podcast, but when we were playing Wilderness, the festival. Oh. Lost. We won't go into that now. But uh, we'd got the okay that he was ready to come in, and the Victorian started, and the four of them were doing a round for about twenty minutes. <laughs> 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 oh, yes. You're going to pass out with a sunstroke. It was so hot. Yeah. It was yeah. just, uh, fantastic. So, uh, so we're going to wrap up soon. But just going. Then we opened in, in as I say, July twenty thirteen. Oh. Really quickly, because we are running out of time. Really quick, sort of. Um, memories of that day uh, i remember it, i remember being very hot and he will bring in a watermelon as the uh yes that's the photo i have yes the photos was yeah. watermelons yeah. <laughs> um any other particular memories of when it was actually done on that first day guys i think for me the memory i have other than you know the usual relief that it's all gone well and it's gone okay and you've remembered everything and you haven't died from heat exhaustion that it for me it was the reaction of the children i have never i had never experienced anything like that and i haven't since um it was just so incredible to see like sarah said earlier the, the fact that the children could come up so close to you Mm -hmm. I remember one little girl came and sat next to me during one of one of the bits I was singing and she can put her hand out to touch me and the joy and just the absolute knowledge that she'd been she'd she'd escaped to another world for an hour and it was yeah. just such a humbling experience and that that's my memory of, of the first performance we did well mine is i mean i know we've done a dress rehearsal but i think the first performance was the first time we'd had what 160 people in in the space mm -hmm. and moving them between the thing the relief that it kind of it worked it did work worked and oh god it was heart stopping but the relief and the joy at the end was fantastic yeah i mean i i remember being being um because you're quite powerless as the writer at this point as you say it's in the hands of the performers and the director and they've got things to focus on it and as a composer you don't have anything to focus on apart from bits that you wish you'd written better <laughs> um that's the only thing and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, are they, you know, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? That's that's just going through your mind the whole time, and because you've got nothing else to do. So, sort of from the other side that Fleer just described of when when the uh, the audience sort of erupted into excitement at the end, yeah, the, the flood of joy at thinking, wow, you know, the, these are a bunch of people that never heard this. 
they yeah. came in 70 minutes ago and they, they heard the thing mm -hmm. and this is their reaction and that was it's like we bottled something up over you know months and months of hard work by a lot of people and suddenly someone tasted it and said this is great yeah drink me drink <laughs> <laughs> Sarah. Uh, I mean, I sort of kind of felt a bit hysterical, and I think that in a bit like you just said, Will, as a producer, you're pretty powerless when it comes to the first performance, and it's like handing over your baby or, or being asked to drive a car with the blindfolds on, and it, it, it's it's kind of scary, and you have all these. Uh, you think you know, you you know to a certain extent, I think, but you never ever know for sure until you get it in front of an audience. But I think for me personally, I know when I when I really, really care about something and when I think it's really good and I really want everyone else to think it's really good, I get very, very nervous. And it doesn't happen every show. It only happens in, on, on certain shows. And I was I was so nervous that day. And I think that's why I sort of remember the hysteria afterwards. I'm pretty sure I lay down on the lawn, just sort of lay there for a bit. I think James did as well. Um, partly through relief and partly through just sort of being totally overwhelmed that A, we'd made it happen and B, this sort of, it come alive in the way that it had. I mean, it's one of the great, great experiences of my um, life, like only my working career in that. And, and on that day, we had Doug there, as we said, my mum and dad were there, Angela was there for me personally. Mm -hmm. It's incredible sort of bringing together of it. And I think that, um, so the other thing that struck me when I was just doing the notes for this this morning was that the amount of energy we both had, because in the same week, we opened Joelle de la Madonna. I mean, man, I wish I had that energy now. But um, just incredible. Oh, uh, we'd manage it again, James. Yeah. <laughs> we would. And also, over the period of time, we got loads of new people to come in, and, and lovely Matt Waldron conducted many, many of the shows over, over the run. And we're going to talk to him on a future one of this. Um, but just uh, some of the fantastic people we had through, we had Hannah Hipp as the Mad Hatter. Oh. On that, um, Vicky mm -hmm. Simmons then joined us for a long run as a Mad Hatter. Just this incredible group of people. 80 performances, went to the Royal Opera House, lots of festivals. Number one album in the classical chart. Yes. That was yes! <laughs> I can retire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, so we'll talk about all those on, on, a, on a future one. But um, I just want to say, just to quickly uh, to round off, is there, uh, could you narrow it down to a little favorite bit of the show each of you oh that's right I actually it's funny there's a bit i listen to every time and it, it it didn't exist in the original show and then uh i think it might have been quite close to the end maybe we were outside in the cafe again martin and you said we need another 90 seconds of music for the um the actors who are doubling to return to being the family oh yes and we decided to to double up the um, the chorus version of the, the world is bursting with wonder. Yes. And I did this sort of extended version <laughs> of it, um, and I think it's lovely. <laughs> it would, it would, it's, it's one of those brilliant things, and this is what I love about the collaborative nature of theatre: is it only exists because it needed to be there for a specific technical reason. And yet it's perfect. It, it's, it, should, it should have been there all along. <laughs> Flea? Um, it's so difficult to pick a favourite moment. Favourite moment for comedy purposes has to be the um, forgetful trio with Lofty and um, Patsy, actually, as the Duchess. That was... Oh, yeah. uh, quite nerve-wracking as to what was going to come out of Lofty's mouth every night or every day. But I think my absolute favourite moment was 
the chorus at the end, the world is bursting with wonder. I don't think there was ever a time we sang that where I didn't come up in goosebumps. And even just thinking about Me it too. now. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. The hair's on the back yeah. of my neck. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that, that's... Same that's for you, Sarah. I mean, I, I, do you know what? Not, I had, of course, I hadn't forgotten about it, but Flea, I wasn't going to say that until you just until you just said that, and I did absolutely get get goosebumps. Um, I mean, that's a magic moment. There's so many magic moments. The light coming through the trees on the Mount Atlas Tea Party as an image will always stay with me. I think mu sort of musically, or not even musically, but the first time Wonderland Blues, um, I think takes people by surprise every time, and partly it's because Keel kind of somehow blends in and then and then starts. Uh, gorgeous booming bass that the kids don't expect and you've got victorians arguing in the trees and and it's sort of i think it's yeah i, I love i love that moment um all of it i mean like it's so hard it's so hard to pick a moment martin oh well i think my favorite comedy moment was in the the mad hatters tea party scene where keel as the caterpillar was trying to hide <laughs> the audience He'd pick a member of the audience, drag them forward, and hide behind them. <laughs> or, or the faces of the audience were classic. I've got so many photos of that moment. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I think my one, I loved every bit of it, but one of, as, as you all did, but one of mine is, as Martin particularly knows, White Rabbit at the end saying, thank you, Alice. Um, <gasps> Oh, yes. Of course. Get a bit emotional and a little bit. And the thumb. Every single time. Oh, yeah, it's I just know. really, it's really great. But, okay, listen, I just love hanging out with you guys. Um, we not only created something special with, between us and all the rest of the team, but just to create a lot of lasting friendships. And we should do this more often, just catch up without recording it. But it'd just be lovely. It's just been lovely being with you all again. Lovely. Brilliant. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank Take you. care, everyone. We'll see you all soon. Thank you. Look after yourselves. Bye. Thanks, Bye. James. Bye. Me. You have been listening to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton. For more information on Opera Holland Park, please visit www.operahollandpark.com. <laughs>